worshiping with us today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Pastor Megan. My husband and I moved here uh, beginning of February, and you've heard from him the past couple weeks. Um, but because of everything that's gone on, I haven't had the chance to meet a lot of you in person. Um, but we are looking forward to regathering and getting to know some of you a little bit better. So over the past three weeks, we have been going through our series titled Healthy and whole. We've been talking about how to create kingdom habits. We've looked at different habits and practices and the way that they can draw us closer to God and enable us to carry out his mission in the world. So before we start, even if you're at home worshiping with us today, we ask that you read our series verse out loud with us, Luke 10, 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the past couple weeks, you guys have been hearing from Pastor Tyler, and he has talked to you about compassion and prayer. And I have to admit to you, even though I'm married to him, I am not nearly as funny as he is. He has a sense of humor, and we always joke about how I'm the robot. So um, I'm not as funny as he is. And if you were wondering, yes, those corny jokes do come out of him 24-7. And I really appreciate that we're still new enough that people think he's hilarious. Because it has lightened the load. I don't feel like I have to pity laugh at him right now because people still think he's funny. So I think it's really great. But today we're going to be talking about one of the essential pillars of our Christian faith, and that is Scripture. For some of you, you see a Bible, and it's like an old friend. It's been a part of your life for some time. You rely on it. You dive into it. It guides you. It leads you. But for some of you, when we talk about the Bible, it's an intimidating book. Where do I start? How do I study it? Do I really have to read it all? In John 5, Jesus had just healed a lame man. And he tells this man, pick up your mat and walk. And the man does. And finally, Jesus makes a claim to be the Son of God. In John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. So church, today as we talk about God's word, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. The entirety of scripture points to the one who saves us, who loves us, who created us. So what is scripture exactly? What do we as a church, as Christians, believe about the Bible? So the Bible contains 66 books written over more than 1,500 years by 40 different authors. That is a huge feat. And even after the Bible was written, it was not canonized. It wasn't bound together 
as we see it today, put all together for another couple hundred years. So that means that when you hold a Bible in your hands, you are holding a text thousands of years in the making. We acknowledge that scripture is so central to our faith, but what do we believe about it? There are two major beliefs that we have about the Bible that set it apart from other works of literature and even from other religious texts. The first is that we believe that scripture is divinely inspired by God. You see, we believe that God's word was not just inspired then, not just inspired when it was written, but is divinely inspired for all time. That scripture is still inspired by God and always will be. We reference Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, which say, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So we believe that scripture is inspired by God, and yet God chose to partner with humanity in its creation. Over 40 different authors contributed to the Bible. It is the words of God in the hands of man. You see, God chose to do something amazing, something odd, a very interesting choice, but something incredible. You see, God did not choose to place the authors of the Bible in a trance. He did not choose to take their hands and write it for them. No, he chose to use his Holy Spirit to inspire his creation as they wrote the Bible. He chose to partner with his creation, humanity, as they wrote the scriptures. And it's undeniable that the Bible includes the humanity of the writers. You see, there's a big difference between reading a letter of Paul and a psalm of David. The Bible includes their personality, their culture, their situation. It is a coupling of the supernatural and the natural. But it is divinely inspired, meaning that scripture is not the will of humankind, but the will of God. The message ultimately comes from God. Sometimes we refer to the Bible as the holy scripture or as God's holy word. And we do so because of our belief that it was divinely inspired by a holy God. And we believe that the inspiration did not stop whenever the ink left the page. We believe that the Holy Spirit continues to work, that scripture continues to be inspired as it is read, as it is translated, and as it is taught. And so because of our belief in divine inspiration, we come to our second major belief about scripture. We also believe that scripture is inerrant or without fault or error in matters regarding salvation. Basically, what we're saying there is we believe that Scripture is true. We believe that Scripture is without fault or error when it comes to things regarding the salvation of God's people. So to say that it's inerrant does not take away the fact that God chose to partner with his creation, with humanity. And it does not take away the fact that these accounts occurred in a certain place and time and were often addressed to a certain people. We still believe 
and acknowledge all of these things. That's why it's important when we read and use the word of God that we don't just take one verse out and use it to define our entire faith, right? We believe that this book as a whole guides our entire faith. But we do believe that because of God's involvement, because of the Holy Spirit, that this massive book written over a massive span of time all testifies to the same message. Remember what Jesus said? He said, it all points to me. So scripture as a whole tells us a larger story. It's a story of God's love for us, his desire for relationship with us, and about his mission so that we may go out into the world so that all people would know him. There's a lot of diversity in the Bible. Diversity in authors and content. We have stories. We have historical accounts. We have detailed accounts. Have you ever tried to read Numbers and Leviticus? They are just the funnest books. There's poetry, lament, and letters. And it's such a beautiful and diverse thing. And yet somehow, such a diverse thing, it all bears the signature of God. So we believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. We believe that it is without error regarding salvation. But what does that mean for us today? It means that we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who is not silent, who is not distant, but who wants to communicate with us. It struck me today as we were worshiping and we were singing Holy, 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 I want to see you. And it was so perfect for this because when we read scripture, we're, we're met with the fact that God is saying, I want you to see me. He has given us this love letter so that as we sing, holy, 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 I want to see you, God's answer is yes. I want you to see me. I want you to know me. I want you to be in relationship with me. Scripture is one of the primary ways that we learn who God is. Even Jesus used scripture to communicate to his people who God was. And when Jesus talks about scripture, take note in the Bible of how he does it. He doesn't talk about it like it's just an ancient truth or a historical text. He talks about it as if it is a special message from God himself. It is a means through which God communicates and reveals himself to his people. You see, God reveals himself to us in many different ways. He reveals himself to us through nature. He reveals himself through history, through other people, um, through speaking to us directly. And it is through these things that God gives us a general revelation, a general sense that he exists. When you look around the world, you see the fingerprint of God. You see things that make you think there has to be something more. But if you want to know more about God, more about the details of who he is, that is found in scripture. I like to look at scripture as a sort of scrapbook of what God has done. We all have those personally, many probably unfinished. 
But whenever I go to someone's house, and just beware, if you ever have a sober, I'm a total creeper, right? One of the things I like to do is look at the pictures that people have hanging on their walls, right? It's really fun to see how people decorate and what pictures, what moments to them are important enough that they want to see them on a daily basis. And then even better are the scrapbooks. We all know those people, right? When you go over to their house, they're going to bring out the box, and it's going to have all the photos, and they want to tell you about all of them. Or for some younger generations, it may be like scrolling through someone's Instagram or their Facebook photos. And oftentimes when you see pictures of people's lives, it comes with stories. And so as we read through Scripture, we learn so much about God and about who he is. We get to see pictures of who he is and what he has done. In the Old Testament especially, there's this concept of remembrance. It was very important to the people of Israel, this concept of remembrance. And they would pass things down orally, generation to generation. And you see, in the Bible, almost every time that the people of Israel fall away, there's a mention about how the people forgot what God had done. Or that the people had gotten too consumed, too tied up with the world, and they had forgotten to pass on that remembrance, to pass on the things that God had done. They had forgotten the works and faithfulness of God. Personally, I love the concept of remembrance. Remembrance moves from generation to generation. It's the act of the larger faith community to remember what God has done. For me personally, the act of remembrance was huge in my family. My grandparents taught me how to read this. They taught my parents, and my parents taught me. And that act of remembrance was huge. Anytime we gathered as a family, Let's remember for our family what God has done. And it's a relational act because we serve a relational God. You see, the purpose of Scripture is not to just tell you about God, but to increase our relationship with God. It's like when Tyler and I were dating. So there's this phenomenon that happens now, and, and it's like there's been created a pre-dating stage and that's when people say that they are talking, okay? As it, people in youth ministry, it's really funny to watch, you know, our youth groupers be like, oh, are they together? Oh, we're just talking, right? It means you're interested, but you're not, like, fully committed. Um, and so as much as we make fun of it, Tyler and I went through this stage when we were dating. Um, and so we weren't quite dating yet, but we were talking. So it was after my freshman year of college and um, I spent my entire freshman year being completely annoyed by this guy named Tyler <laughs> in class and around campus. I wanted to focus, you know, pay attention to class, and he was usually the one who wouldn't stop talking. Um, but we were both hired by the college we went to, Mid-American Nazarene University, to be on a PR team, which meant we were going to be spending um, a lot of time together. And so in a weird and probably a little bit divinely inspired way, all of those things that had been really, really annoying over time kind of became endearing. And so um, 
for the point of this sermon, we started to work together and we found ourselves in that, that awkward pre-dating stage where we were talking, okay? And so we also weren't dating because it, there was a rule that we couldn't date. If you work together for the college, um, you, there, you could not have a relationship with someone you were working with. Um, it was the most commonly broken rule ever. Um, in fact, there's a joke because almost always a couple would get married out of these PR teams, and that was us. Um, so we get to the summer, and we're in this talking phase, and I ended up going to Europe to study abroad. So this very easily could have been the end, right? Um, could have been the end of that pre-dating, we're talking relationship. But instead, we ended up spending a very significant amount of time writing to each other. Now, it was not as romantic as some of our wiser listeners today. They were not handwritten letters. Instead, our romance only went as far as Facebook Messenger, okay? But um, we thought it was really cool because it was when the first, very first iPad came out. So I felt really cool, you know, typing to him on my iPad. But because of the time difference, we would write back and forth, and usually one of us would be writing before we went to bed, knowing that the other one would be reading it when they woke up. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we got to know each other because we continued to communicate. And it wasn't just focused on learning more about each other, though that was part of it. The goal that we had in mind was to further our relationship with each other, to increase that relationship. A relationship that less than a year later resulted in us getting married. So listen to me when I say this. God longs to communicate with you. He wants you to learn more about him. He wants you to deepen your relationship with him. And instead of settling for the distance that sin creates between God and his people, instead Jesus demonstrated his love for us through his death on the cross, his offer of forgiveness for our sins, so that we can have a relationship with him. And not just a relationship, but a restored relationship. And the reading and study of scripture is one of the primary ways that we can cultivate this relationship and keep it healthy. As we read and study scripture, not only do we find out more about who God is, but we also find out more about who we are and our purpose. We believe that the Bible represents God's will for our lives and has the right to define what we should believe and how we should live it out. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we find ourselves reading about Moses. Moses is reviewing the covenant between God and the Israelite people. And he's calling them to return to the Lord. And what he's saying to them is he's saying, this message you've been given, it's not too difficult. It's within your reach. And you have a choice. You have a choice to make between life and death. A choice between living this life that God has called you to and disaster. He's calling them to love the Lord their God and keep his commands, to walk in his ways. And he says this in verse 14. He says, no, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. And the same is true for us today. 
the message is close at hand. In fact, we have it a little easier than the Israelites because the message is literally in our hands. And so now it's time to take this message that's in your hands and read it so that it may be in your heart, so that you may allow it to change and transform you. When I was a kid, I did kids quizzing, teen quizzing, and I fully believe in those programs because the scripture that we were taught and that we learned, I still remember today. So often I think of Romans 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to discern God's will for your life, his perfect and pleasing will. But how do we not conform? How do we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? It's when we take the message that's in our hands and we place it in our hearts. And Moses said, and that it may also be on your lips so that you may share it with others, so that you may speak its truth. And so what we believe about scripture means that we say, out of all of the voices, out of all of the directions that we come across in the world, we say, this right here, it has the final say. And we believe that though God does continue to speak to his people directly, he can speak to our hearts We believe that God does not give someone a personal revelation that would direct them to go against the word of God. We say that God's revelation, whether it be through church, through teaching, through prayer, through direct speaking to your heart, it will never contradict God's holy word. So we know four things. Scripture tells us about God. Scripture strengthens our relationship with God. Scripture helps us to know who we are, and Scripture gives us guidance for how to live. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging this young man, and he's saying, stay faithful. Stay faithful to what you know. Stay faithful to what you've been taught, which is the Scriptures. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. There are a lot of reasons that I hear about why people struggle to get into God's word. A lot of reasons that have been true in my own life. It's intimidating. It is. It's a big book. Where do I start? That is a great question. It's boring. Yeah, sometimes it is. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, and I know this has been true in my own life, sometimes in my own life I've been hesitant to read this because I know that if I read this, I have to change this. See, there's this thing called conviction. And while conviction is a good thing, a useful thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, and we like to avoid it as much as we can. Sometimes we don't open our Bible because we're afraid of what it will say. But I'd say, especially for those of us that are already in relationship with God, sometimes we don't open our Bible because we know what it will say. 
Like sometimes when I'm having a pity party, right, things in life are not going great. But I know I might read Philippians 4, where Paul, who has been through much more than I, encourages his brothers and sisters to be full of joy in the Lord. Not to worry about anything, but pray about everything. And set your thoughts on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Or what about the situations in my life where I'm angry or resentful, and they even deserve it? But if I pick up this, then I might be reminded of Ephesians 4, which urges us to forgive one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven us. Maybe I'll be reminded that even an innocent and perfect Christ hanging on the cross cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Or maybe when things are tight at home, right? For many of us, finances have been hard in this season. And it makes us want to hoard what we have. But if we open our Bible and truly read it, then we know we're going to be reminded that God calls us to be generous. That he calls us to take care of the least of these. Like I said, sometimes we don't open our Bible because we're afraid of what it will say. But sometimes we don't open our Bible because we know what it will say. You see, when God's word is inside of us, it changes the way we process. It's like downloading a new system for your phone. It changes the way we function. It rewrites and guides the code of how we exist. But the amazing thing about the Bible, the amazing way that the Holy Spirit uses God's word, is that this conviction is coupled with connection. You see, the Bible does not exist to shame us. It doesn't just tell us when we're doing something wrong. It also leads us and guides us so we know what is right. As Paul reminded Timothy, it's so we can be equipped, prepared, and so that we can do God's good work. I don't know about you, but I want to be used for God's good work. And it is through scripture that God can mold and shape us to do so. So when I was in youth group as a kid, which the worship was perfect, it was like songs we sang all the time in youth group, right? So we would, we would watch these videos, and my youth pastor's name was James, and he was corny, as all youth pastors tend to be, right? And so we would watch these videos, and I don't even remember the speaker, but I remember he would do this weird thing where he would look at the camera and say, Put on your biblical glasses. And it was the corniest thing, and it became this huge, like, joke in our youth group. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's word should be the lens through which we see and interact with the world. And note that the Bible is the lens. So often we take the Bible, we take this book, and we try to use it to justify our own lens right? We take the Bible and we try to use it to back up the way we already see the world. We read the Bible with our own personal glasses and preset filters, but instead I need to filter my life, my views, what I see through the lens of scripture and allow it to change the way I see the world. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases Colossians 3.16 in the message. It says, do you let scripture have run of the house? Does it have room in your life? 
it's important to let scripture have that room to give it the authority in your life. And for some of you today, you may need to be handing the keys of the house back over. Some of you may need encouragement to just keep on keeping on. And some of you might be asking yourselves for the very first time, how do I make scripture a part of my life? Here are two of the most common questions I hear. The first one is, where do I start? Unfortunately, there's no, like, super right answer to that. It does not say in the Bible, this is how you, you, you need to read, you know, 10 verses a day in order to be holy. It doesn't say that. So there's no right or wrong answer, but we would love to give you recommendations. Personally, I always recommend starting with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But reach out. Get a buddy. There are lots of people who would love to partner with you and study scripture with you. And I'd say if you are listening today and you don't have a Bible to read, let us know. We would love to get you one. The second question I hear a lot is what translation is the best? I have to admit, I'm not going to give you a very educational or theological answer. But the best advice I've heard in response to this question is that the best translation is the one you will actually read. I prefer, personally, the NLT for my personal devotions. A lot of times when you see things, there'll be an NIV. Some people want a more word-to-word translation. NRSV would be a good example of that. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. That's a completely other conversation. We won't even go in. But the best translation for you to read is the one that you will actually dive into and allow to transform your life. So if buying a Bible that's beautiful and pretty makes you excited to pick it up, then do it. If writing and highlighting, I used to think that was terrible. When I was a kid, I thought, you can't write in God's holy word. But man, if highlighting scripture, if making notes engages you with it, then do it. If you like more intensive study and you want to use supplemental materials, you want to use a study Bible, do it. I'm not very tech savvy, um, so I struggle to read things on my phone. But if having the Bible app on your phone is how you're going to engage with God's word, then do it. There are so many ways you can engage scripture. Personally, one thing I like to do is pray scripture. Um, Pastor Tyler talked about prayer last week, and um, I struggle with prayer. So one thing I like to do is I like to read a psalm, and then I take it and I write it, I rewrite it from my own perspective, and then I pray it. So I'm engaging in prayer, but also learning scripture. And if that sounds good to you, great. There are some people like my husband who would say that would be torture. And that's okay too. You don't have to, we don't have to all do it the same way. The important thing to know is there's not just one way to study scripture. Find what works for you. And over time, that may change. As you grow in the spirit, the way God leads you to study his word may change. And it's always okay to ask for help recommendations, and accountability. You see, for years, I grew up in a Christian home, and for years I felt guilty for not doing my devotions in the morning. 
That was part of our family life growing up. I lived in the country, and our bus, our school bus would come at like 6.30, 6.45. But my mom every day would wake up, and she would make us breakfast, and as a family, we would sit and do devotions together. It was really awesome, something I want to do for my kids. But for my own personal devotional life, I hate doing devotions in the morning. And I spent years feeling guilty because everyone would be like, well, don't you want to spend the first part of your day in the word of God? And I would be like, no, I want to spend the first part of my day going back to sleep. (laughs) So I'd feel guilty. I would try to set up this habit, and more often than not, I would hit snooze on my alarm, and I would feel guilty the rest of the day for not doing my devotions. And then finally, I allowed myself the freedom to do my scripture reading before bed. And it's made a huge difference. I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning person. And it's allowed me to be more consistent, to enjoy it more, and even to sleep better. Find what works for you. The important thing is that you read it, that you engage it, that you're furthering your relationship with God. But I have to admit, it's still a discipline, right? We're talking about spiritual disciplines, which means that some seasons, you do it even when you don't want to. Some seasons, it comes easy, and I'm excited, and I just want to read more. And there are some seasons where you're just not as motivated, and that's okay, but the discipline in it is that you do it anyway. Like all relationships, you have to put in the work. God's grace and love for us abound. It is more than we could imagine. But imagine what could happen in your life if you made God's word a priority. And then don't just study it. Apply it. Allow it to shape you and transform you. There's no minimum requirement. No daily or monthly quotas or checklists. It's like the Nike slogan, just do it. Start somewhere or take the next step. Just do it and see the ways that God will speak to you, lead you, and enter into your life. There's no risk. There's only a God who gave us this gift so that we could learn more about him, strengthen our relationship with him, and live into the people that he has called us to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the fact that you want us to know you and that you have given us ways to get to know you. God, we just ask that you would give us a passion for your word. Lord, that you would just light that fire in our hearts. God, that you would use your Holy Spirit as we read scripture. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it to our lives. Be with us today as we go out into your world. God, help us to represent you well, to share the love of your son, Jesus Christ, with others. We love you and we praise you. Amen. So at this time, we're going to be moving. Today, we're celebrating Grad Sunday. Um, And so if you are at home, come on out. We're having a drive-through celebration. It's about to start from 10 to 11. And you're just going to drive through and get to celebrate our graduates Um, and just bless them, just love on them. But before we go, as always, we love God, we live as a family,
go and make disciples. Enjoy this video.